I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half-Full Editor. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host David Weinrich. Hey Noah, how are you? I'm I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Dave? No, pretty good under the circumstances, as we say these days. I am very excited for our episode. We have our dear friend Garrett Oliver, the longtime um, head beer maker at the Brooklyn Brewery, and uh, really like a, a brewing legend. You know, he's was the editor in chief of the Oxford Companion to Beer, uh, a task that you know well, um, all too well. <laughs> As I put together the uh, Oxford Companion to uh, Spirits and Cocktails with your help. (laughs) One day we'll be done. Garrett is working with some of our other friends to start a foundation called the Michael Jackson Foundation. And they're starting a very important scholarship program that will uh, launch in a couple of months. I'm excited to hear about what he has in store and, um, and how it will all work. Yeah, very curious. Welcome, Garrett. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Garrett. Hey, Dave. Both Dave and I are so excited about what you're doing with the Michael Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling. You know, could you talk a little bit about, you know, sort of how this all came together and um, how long you've been working on it? Well, many people may not realize, I mean, hopefully if you're in our business, you do, that uh, we're obviously talking about a different Michael Jackson than most people in the world will think of. (laughs) Uh, yes. Good point. Good point. Know, the, the, the Michael Jackson we're speaking of did sometimes don a sparkly glove, you know, to uh, you know to make a joke. He uh, was with us until 2007, and Michael was the foremost writer in the world, certainly on beer, uh, and if not the foremost uh, best-selling author on whiskey, uh, he was pretty close. He sold about 13 million books in 28 languages. Oh man. And essentially, in the modern era, invented the idea of beer styles, sort of a taxonomy of beer and where it came from and elucidated the histories, et cetera, et cetera. And in doing so, essentially created the entire basis for the American craft brewing movement, which basically means the worldwide craft brewing movement, it having come out of the United States. So during his, uh, during his time, uh, you know, he became among brewers. He was basically God. Um, if you saw him at a at a festival or whatever else, it was just a mob scene because everybody had his books, uh, everybody had read them, and our ideas about what all sorts of beer styles are, where they come from, what the histories are, everything comes almost a hundred percent through Michael. Um, and as a result of this, in the 90s, the uh, American Institute of Wine and Food, you may remember the organization, mm-hmm. prominent, and they had lots of big events. And uh, fortunately, even though they were called the AIWF, uh, they also took 
and interest in the nascent craft beer movement. And they did big beer and food events, you know, down at the seaport here in New York. They would have a couple of thousand people doing beer and food, et cetera, way before their time. But over the years, AIWF became uh, kind of wound down. There were other organizations that came to the fore, like the James Beard Foundation, et cetera, and kind of took that thing and ran with it. And AIWF ran down. But before that happened, they had established a fund, which was the Michael Jackson Fund, which was to basically fund education of some sort for brewers and distillers. And it was going to give away scholarships. And they gave away a few. But as the organization wound down, that particular fund just became moribund and it didn't get spent and it sat there. So fast forward, you know, these years and and Michael's no longer with us for 13 years now, that fund is still there uh, at about $30,000. And so last year, Tom Potter, who you guys know as not only one of the founders of Brooklyn Brewery, but also past president of AIWF, possibly technically still president, and founder of, uh, 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 with Alan Katz of New York Distilling Company. So he came to me and he said, Garrett, we have this Michael Jackson fund. You were one of Michael's best friends, and we would like you to administrate this fund and basically give the scholarships away. And what I said to him was like, I'm really happy to do that. I'm sure Michael would you know, love to see me involved with that. However, I will do it under one condition, and that is that the predominance, at least, of the funds are aimed in the direction of people of color. And at first, I think Tom was a bit taken aback because he thought, well, we'll just put it through a you know, cooking school or something, and they'll decide, and you know, or you guys, and then we'll decide, mm-hmm. and it'll be nice and quick, which is understandable. But the thing is that I have not, in a 30-year career, ever had a single African-American even apply for a job in my brewing department. And that is at two breweries, including Brooklyn Brewery. Through refugee agencies, I have sent Iraqis to brewing school. I have sent uh, Gambians to brewing school. We have had at the Brooklyn Brewery a virtual UN of people from all over the world, you know, from Eritrea to Afghanistan, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and had them on our staff, but we've had no African-Americans. And so you need to ask yourself, you know, why is that? And about five years ago, I was asked this question uh, by a writer for Thrillist uh, named Dave Infante. Dave called me. I was in Slovenia at the time uh, in the vineyards. He said, well, I want to talk about whether craft beer has a racism problem because there appear to be essentially no black people in craft beer. You know, 0.6% of people working in brewing production are African-American. Why is that? And I politely turned him down for the interview and said, well, I mean, I hate to tell you, but that's a stupid question. You know, <laughs> you, know you apparently have not noticed that when you go to top-end restaurants, there are, except for the dishwashing pit, there are no black people working on the floor. There are no black people behind the bar. Uh, There are no black people in the restaurant as customers. Um, There are no black people working in the kitchen. You know, that is the medium to high side, at least, of dining throughout most of the United States. And you apparently haven't noticed that, but we have. I have. This is what America actually looks like. 
and people hire their friends and people in this society are friends with people who look like them. I think it was uh, uh, Chris Black who said, it's like, you ever notice like most white people have 1.3 black friends, you know? <laughs> you know? And, and so, you know, I'm not saying that craft beer is somehow worse than America, but craft beer is America and it looks like America and you should go study America and then you will have some idea what's going on. He published his article where he mentioned my refusal and it won the James Beard Award. Fast forward to now, you know, I'm, I, I'm looking at what's going on and saying, well, if you'd like this to change, if you'd like equity uh, in this, uh, maybe it's time to do something else because the way that I have been doing things has not produced the result that we all say that we would like to have, a, you know, an equitable society and, a, and a, 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 an industry that looks the way we think of ourselves, which is as decent people. And so, you know, the way that the Michael Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling is going about this is by essentially producing or helping to produce the sorts of candidates that a brewery like Brooklyn Brewery and ones that uh, are smaller will like to see. You know, we have hired people who have been through a number of the courses that we are going to fund. When we see these courses like American Brewers Guild or Master Brewers Association of the Americas, that they have taken these courses, we're like, oh, these people have a practical background. Because it's not like working in a restaurant, you know, where someone's going to give you a shot, you know, at the fish station, and you have a bad night, and you ruin a couple of pieces of fish. When you do something wrong at a brewery, somebody dies, or you ruin a $50,000 tank of beer. It's not beanbag. You can't mess around. You cannot expose your people to people who don't know what they're doing, everything is high stakes. And therefore, there is a certain amount of knowledge that is necessary. It's not that you can't work your way up from dishwasher and then be trained on the job. You can do that in a smaller brewery. But, you know, if they throw you into the kitchen on, you know, at 11 Madison Park on Saturday night, you better be able to perform. So that's what this is about. Now, a lot of people said, well, I guess the reason why there are not more African-Americans in craft beer is because they're not that interested. This is not even vaguely true. I went last summer to a, a festival called Fresh Fest, which is or was and will be again held in Pittsburgh. And this is an African-American run beer festival. And at first, when I heard of it, I said, well, why do we need an African-American beer festival? You know, I mean, I come out of the 60s and 70s. And I'm like, wasn't separate but equal what we just never wanted? And we're all really nice people. Like, what's wrong with the regular beer festival? But if you reverse that situation that a lot of African-Americans walk into, you guys might not have a problem with this. But imagine if every whiskey, drinks, et cetera, event you went to was almost 100% black. And there were, like, no white people in the room. Some people would feel intimidated, weird. And it wouldn't look normal. It would look bizarre to you. Well, that's the way the world looks from the other side. When we go to, you know, a big wine tasting or, you know, a whiskey tasting or a cocktail event or whatever it is you like, that's what it looks like. And it looks bizarre. And it's not that people don't want to participate in these things. They don't feel comfortable being in the room because there's nobody in there that looks like them. 
And at this Fresh Fest, there were 3,000 completely geeked out black people drinking craft beer and talking about craft beer and brewing craft beer. And it gave instantly the lie to the idea that, well, some people aren't interested. It's like, no, they're interested. You just never invited them. And the lack of an invitation was not clear to you because you figure, like, who needs an invitation? Well, you know, it's a little trickier than that in real life. You know, I resolved that I was going to do what I could about that. So the Michael Jackson Foundation funds technical courses only in brewing and distilling to honor Michael's uh, two families, if you like, uh, the brewing world and the distilling world, or as I call the allied, you know, grain beverage industries. We will be providing not only that, but when you get a scholarship award, you will also be assigned a mentor who will be a person of color who is in the industry. And if that person doesn't work out for you somehow, uh, you know, we'll assign you another one. But the idea is that you're not just going through this by yourself. You have somebody to talk to who you can relate to more directly and in a different way than you might relate to other people. Because as we know from higher education in general, you know, you send people in, it's like, okay, here's an education, here's a, here's a course, sink or swim, good luck. And yeah, that's not helpful. <laughs> that's not helpful. Well, you know, and a lot of us feel like we were able to do that. But, you know, I, I come out of a different time uh, where, you know, we were all built with armor plating against, uh, you know, a particularly rough society. And I got the benefits of, a, you know, a certain type of upbringing, you know, and uh, a lot of people just, uh, they will end up in a cultural situation that they don't know how to handle. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of work in higher education around this issue. So I wanted to make sure that it was not something where we just dropped somebody off at the curb and say, you know, sink or swim, good luck, but was kind of an ongoing thing where hopefully these people over time, once they do establish themselves better within the industry, they can then be mentors to others. And it creates a real network, which, you know, is very important. Yeah. Um, you know, for, you know, for people to open up their own breweries and to meet other brewers and just, I mean, uh, you know, to, that's, that's the way that to affect some real change. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And we'll ally ourselves with wine organizations and other organizations. And, you know, when people come to us, even if our scholarship isn't something for them, you know, they want a different area of education or they want to, you know, they want to be a sommelier or they want to take Cicerone courses, you know, for beer education, or they want to come to Dave's cocktail school or something like that, then it's like we can send them in that direction and give advice from the chair that we sit in and maybe link them up with, uh, you know, people uh, who are within that area. So yes, there's networking that will go on as well. Uh, at first informally, and then probably there'll be somebody on the board, you know, whose job it will be to basically help create all those links for people. So there's, you know, the possibility of doing the, 
kind of public facing lectures, things like that under the uh, umbrella of the organization? Yeah, there is. I mean, and one of my inspirations was actually the, uh, the small distillery down in Kentucky called uh, Copper and Kings. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had uh, about a year and a half ago, I had a discussion uh, by email with uh, Joe Heron at uh, Copper and Kings. And, you know, I had heard somewhere that uh, he had a diversity program. And I said, well, how do you guys go about that? And I was thinking about Brooklyn Brewery, et cetera. How can mm -hmm. we uh, change our situation. Oh, I remember what it was. He asked me to go down there and do their ideal bartender school. And he asked me, would you come to Kentucky and teach, you know, classes to our, you know, our scholarship people? And I said, absolutely, I will. This is a great initiative. Like, how do you do it? And then he sent me all the stuff, the material that they're using. And I looked at it and I said, wow, like, this is like a whole other job. You know, I, I was doing 12 international trips a year and I wanted to do something, but I, you know, I didn't make or find the time. And then of course we go into the pandemic and there's plenty of time to think. Uh, <laughs> no more international out. trips. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course we had, you know, the social movement that, you know, started up around the killing of George Floyd and everything kind of crystallized for me that, you know, there was no time like the present to basically do this, make a move, and, uh, and do something to, uh, to affect uh, real change. So the, the website is up and running. Uh, so it's the Michael Jackson Foundation. So the website is, uh, you know, obviously your little www.themjf.org. So T-H-E, the, in front of mjf.org. There's an FAQ, there's, you know, all kinds of information on what we're doing, uh, explanation of the structure, and of course, links to uh, a donation page. And, uh, you know, for larger donations that come through corporate or whatever else, uh, they can get directly in touch with me. But we've had great outreach from everybody from major uh, educational institutions to big breweries asking how they can support with money and beyond. So. You know, this is a very streamlined idea because, you know, it's, it's, it's not really very fuzzy. You know, we're going to know what it is that we're doing. You know, the fuzzy part, I suppose, will be in the end, as it always is, you know, picking the awardees. But the kinds of courses that we're going to send them on are exactly the ones that we know that brewers want to see. And we will ask the same questions of distillers when people come to work for you. If there are courses that are well-respected, et cetera, and we all know some of them, like Harriet Watt, but maybe that there are shorter courses, like this is a great two-week course offered by, you know, American Distillers Association or somebody like that. If a bunch of distillers say, yes, we, we, we support that course and we think that it's good and we like to see it on a resume, that is something that, you know, we would then fund. How many scholarships do you think you'll be able to give per year? That depends, you know, in the end on money and on the types of courses that people are applying for. So I'll give you an idea. I mean, obviously, if you're going to Harriet Watt, whatever the school costs, uh, especially for, for people from the United States, is what it costs. And I'm not sure of those costs immediately, but, but I'll find out. American Brewers Guild, which is a partly distance and partly uh, hands-on course, and every educational institution is figuring out how are they going to handle themselves in, during the pandemic. 
uh, we all hope and pray that this is over, you know, relatively soon, uh, at least within a year or so. In the meantime, people will, you know, find a way to make these things happen. And we'll check and make sure that all of the programs as they, as they are offered are still worthwhile. But if you look at the American Brewers Guild, which is out of Vermont, we probably hired about 10 people who've been through American Brewers Guild, and we have taken on any number of interns. They have an internship program, you know, over, you know, over the years. But, it, but ABG costs $10,000. Now, it's a great course, and it's worth $10,000, but it's $10,000. So even the GoFundMe campaign, you know, that we have going right now, which is pegged at $200,000, will only fund... 20 people for that in particular. Right. However, right. if you take a, a, a Master Brewers Association uh, packaging course, which teaches you all about bottling and, uh, and canning and kegging technology, and it's kind of like a really deep dive, like eight hours a day of instruction you know, for those two weeks, we know that people come back from that course, and sure, maybe they worked on a bottling line, but they don't understand it. When they come back, they do understand it. That is a $3,000 course. And in that case, we can do a lot of those. You know, and same with like laboratory work, uh, uh, et cetera. So I would hope that in our first year, you know, we'll be relatively modest and, uh, you know, see if we can, you know, send somewhere between six and 10 people through courses, see how our administration of it works as we have our board set up and everything else. And, uh, understand how best to support these people, you know, before and after they come out of their courses and then move on from there. I would hope that at some point in the future, you know, we were sending, you know, 20, 30, 40 people per year, at least through some sort of technical education. Even at that rate, you got to remember 0.6%. If you're looking for people with some skills, right, you, you want to see that somebody has basically worked in a brewery for at least two years. Maybe that's your bottom line. I want to see somebody who's got like a year or two under their belt. How the hell are you going to get a person with a year or two under their belt? If you have 0.6%, right. it's never, ever, ever going to happen. Right. I mean, this is something that is sort of anomalous because at least I know from distilling, there were, there were always people of color in the distilling industry, certainly uh, in the 19th century. And, uh, into the 20th century, and uh, uh, I'm assume it was the same in the brewing industry. Uh, yes, to some extent, but remember the brewing industry when it became really industrialized, you know, came under the Teamsters and other unions, and the unions also looked like America. Right. I mean, this is we're talking post-prohibition for that, right? Yes, absolutely. Dave, you know that pre-prohibition, black people did everything. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Whenever there was hard work to be done, you knew who you were exactly. going to find there. That's yeah. And that's, that's it right there. But uh, I, I mean, post-prohibition, everything changed uh, exactly with, uh, with, with the unions uh, in, in all of these industries and also consolidation of jobs and, and uh, the move to large-scale industry rather than the small industry we have now uh, that, that's coming back now and hopefully will survive COVID. I mean, I, I think there's, uh, there's certainly uh, room to have things looking again like they were. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, when we get to a point where, you know, people, where people who are coming up through school know that brewing and distilling are careers that are open to them, 
you know, and could be interesting and then feel like it's a thing they could go into. And those who are interested can go into it uh, like everybody else and mm-hmm. re- restore some kind of balance to things. Then, you know, I think that uh, we can basically balance out the industry. And the other thing that you kind of come to realize is that I went to Fresh Fest and I'm talking about, okay, I saw 3,000 black people. But actually, the festival was only about 70% African-American. There was about 30% of everybody else, which means that rather than being a segregated beer festival, it was, in fact, the most integrated beer festival <laughs> I've ever seen yeah. because there was never 30% of anybody else uh, at any of these kinds of events I saw before. And people were literally getting emotional just about the overall scene you know, that it, it felt and looked right. It felt and looked like America. Um, and so what you kind of come to understand is that when everybody in society shows up and, and brings themselves and their culture and their music and whatever else with them, things just get a lot better. They get, they get more fun um, and, and, and more vibrant and you open up new markets uh, because people see that like, this is a fun thing. I would like to buy some too. You know, this is very, very good, not only for the people who uh, are going to have these courses and advance their careers, but also it's great for business. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's future America, we hope. And that's what where people are striving for and fighting for every day. And is an America that looks like America. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is that what you come to realize is that if you want an America that looks like America, it requires work. You know, because yeah. uh, if you have not done the work, and frankly, up until now, I have not, you know, the kind of person that I wanted in the brewery, I wanted to see the light shining out of their eyes that would blind a man. I want the flaming sword of truth. You are willing to do anything to make this thing happen. And, you know, uh, uh, we are here to brew the truth. And we are basically, we are God's people come to do, you know, his mm-hmm. work on earth. And that was my outlook. And I don't say that goes away entirely, but if you're going to set a standard that you have to either have gone through a brewing course where you got serious technical education or you need two years or three years in the brewery, you're just simply not going to produce the result that you expected. And, you know, that all saw about, you know, uh, insanity, you know, being doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Well, I have 30 years of evidence that says that, like, <laughs> my previous way of doing things does not work, at least in that regard. Well, you know, I think it might be a little bit like high-end bartending, where some of the best programs uh, don't hire bartenders. They just hire people who, who are enthusiastic, you know, but they don't have the, the experience because you can give them the experience. But what you, what you can't give them is the, the, the desire, the will. The Passion. Ad- and I think we will see the application process and the scholarship process. We'll see to it that the people that come through are not dilettantes, um, you know, because brewing is hard. Right. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard work. It's exacting. Small mistakes have large consequences, and they're not like, you know, over-sugaring a drink. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, you don't have consequences behind a bar. You can get fired and have unhappy customers, or at very worst, you know, maybe you could poison somebody or something. Killing, you can blow up the uh, building, though. Yeah, so, uh, there is that. Yes. Well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. On the, t- on the technical side, you know, you just, you simply can't have people around who don't know what they're doing. They're right. like, uh, right. you know, interns, interns don't 
help. They think that they're helping when they show up. Interns are dangerous. (laughs) And you have to keep a very close eye on them. And it's a real commitment to teach interns. I mean, we've always done it. But, you know, we tell them at the beginning, it's like, eventually you will be a help. But right now, you know, understand (laughs) that you're you're like a puppy underfoot. And we're just trying, like, not to kick you into a drain, you know, mm-hmm. because we're busy. You know, we've got to move fast. And we'll start off with people who are already in the industry in some way, shape, or form, but never had the formal education and whose employers say so-and-so is doing great and, like, they're a terrific uh, person. It's great to have him. He used to be a dishwasher, and then he started working on the bottling line, and now we have him doing some brewing. But a lot of people like that, they don't – nobody ever told them, like, why – does the starch break down into sugar? And right. how do you move the temperature of the mash back and forth to get different results? What are the differences between yeast strains and like, how do you, so they, they're doing something by rote and they know how to do it technically, but they have no idea what's actually going on. I mean, sometimes they just need the opportunity to focus on it without yeah. you know, being at work. Uh, exactly. where you can step back and, and like, look at the big picture. And that's a that's a gift to any anybody who's who's come up the hard way to have that luxury that other people kind of start with of of of, of pondering your field rather than showing up every day and having to uh, to to do the work without really understanding what's behind it. Yeah, I came up the hard way. I mean, I didn't uh, I didn't go to brewing school. My degree is in broadcasting and film. I learned by working and and reading, you know, extensively. Mm-hmm. But you know. You know, it took 30 years. Right. (laughs) Like, you could get there a lot faster. I'm not saying that, like, uh, the old-fashioned way, the apprenticeship isn't, you know, a a good method of learning. And obviously, it works both ways in in culinary education as well. You can come up Mm -hmm. through the, you know, the brigade system, or you can go to cooking school, and you will, you know, learn a lot of the same thing. But, you know, the people, qualified people actually aren't that easy to find. So there's actually a a need for people who are well-qualified and a need for this education. So yes, it's a niche, but then for people who want to do other things within the industry, we'll help them find the people that they need to talk to. Right. Uh, But it it won't be us. I think that there is a certain ego in thinking that you can do everything and you can't, but there's a certain thing that I can do, you know, sitting in the chair that I sit in where people will listen to me when I speak that I would, I, I want to use on behalf of those who are coming up. And Michael himself, Michael Jackson was, you know, a, he was a distinctly and sometimes fiery, you know, anti-racist. And believe you me, when I went to judge the great British beer festival in 1992, uh, invited by him to sit on the final panel to choose champion beer of Britain, which is a very, very big award in yeah. England because you're, you know, your sales skyrocket as a result. We don't have anything like that here. It's like winning an Oscar, you know, and, uh, uh, and everything will get better for the brewery that wins it. And they have, you know, a young black guy from Queens sitting down at the table and people are basically like, who the hell is that? There were people who didn't think I belonged in the room and Michael just stood them down, you know, because he was God. Yeah, yeah. Like, God, you know, God says Garrett's okay. And he knows more than you. (laughs) And and, uh, that was a big thing for me in my career. And I remember that this pays that forward. 
When do you think you'll start accepting applications for scholarships and grants? I am hopeful that we can do that by, uh, by late autumn, you know, and by the first of the year. And of course, different courses start at different times. Sure. We will be able to uh, start sending people out there. If people who are listening are interested in, in the scholarships, I guess just keep checking back on the Michael Jackson Foundation's uh, website. www.themjf.org. If you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, there'll be information there. I, Garrett Oliver, two R's and two T's in Garrett. These days, most people are easy to find, and uh, I, I'm pretty easy to find as well. So uh, hopefully people will take an interest. We've already raised through the GoFundMe about $30,000 more and more besides that's been offered by, you know, uh, by brewers and distillers. I particularly want to get the word out to the distillers because I don't know them nearly so well, obviously, as the brewers. Um, and, uh, you know, we are, we are marching, we are marching on. We're going to do good work. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on, Garrett. Dave and I are so excited for the foundation and, and, and for the work that you're doing. Hopefully, um, get a great response from our listeners and, uh, maybe we'll come back, um, in a couple of months and give us an update about how everything's going. That would be great. You know, hopefully, uh, distance cocktails with you both, hopefully soon. <laughs> that would be lovely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Garrett. Ciao. Ciao. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 